good to, good to see you all this morning. We just had a lovely week away in Cornwall. Uh, I really feel really blessed because we had a, the weather was awesome. And apparently it was the best week's weather in Cornwall since about last April or something. And we were there in the middle of it, which was great. So we feel really, really refreshed. And uh, there was a verse that was kind of in my head the whole time that we were there and walking, you know, doing some of these lovely walks and so forth. And it's Psalm 23, he restores my soul. And we just kind of felt the reality of that. He restores my soul. I just spent one walk just meditating on that. And uh, we had a great time. So we feel really, really renewed. He's a good, good father, isn't he? And uh, yeah, we were singing that song even this morning, and I've actually got it down here in my notes to kind of mention it at this point. So I was encouraged when that came up on the, on the song list. We, might, we, we must be kind of doing something this morning in looking at this passage together that actually reflects something of the heart of God for us and for this city, I think. Yeah? So I just want you to have your prophetic ears up today because I, I really do feel there's something here for us that God wants us to get hold of so that through us we can be in a greater measure a blessing to this city. Amen? Are you up for that? Do you want to be? Is that where you want to be? I mean, he's already mentioned it once. He's already put a few people off. I'll put a few more people off. If that isn't something you can amen, you shouldn't be here. Go find some other church. <laughs> Okay, so today we're carrying on with the Gospel Fire um, series in the book of Acts. Acts, as you probably all know, is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, really. He is the dominant character of the Trinity uh, in, the, uh, in the whole of the book. But I think at the same time, you can see the book of Acts as a story of the fruit of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus but also of the faithfulness of God the Father to his promises. And uh, in the passage that I'm going to be looking at with you today, it's that characteristic of the faithfulness of God as it's reflected through his people and the consequences of maintaining that attitude in bringing about kingdom breakthrough that I want us to have a look at. Psalm 89 Verse 9, which I think will come up um, behind me here, says this, O Lord God Almighty, where is there anyone as mighty as you, Lord? Faithfulness is your very character. Yeah? And uh, Hazel and I have been involved in church leadership one way or another for more than 40 years now. I I find it hard to kind of consider that that is the case now. Um, you know, as elder, pastor, church planter, all sorts of different roles during that period of time. And without going into any details, things haven't always gone according to our hopes and expectations. Let's put it like that. We've been through some tough times. Apparent failure is something uh, we've had to live through uh, with much pain, it must be said. Um, But we've seen over and over again, just as in a sense I kind of tasted again afresh, even this last week, the faithfulness and the goodness of God towards us, even through and in those difficult times. And uh, we've sought, I hope, 
I think we've sought always to remain faithful to God, even in the hard times. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today uh, in this place. There's a song that uh, years ago that we used to sing. Some of you will know this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Then new every morning, new every morning, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, great is thy faithfulness. It's a great old song. We've got, um, I don't know, songs nowadays don't somehow have kind of quite the richness of some of the old songs. I think we need a new generation of songwriters to kind of capture the glory of grace, really. But the modern equivalent would be the one that we know, you're never going to let, never going to let me down, is the modern equivalent of that in a sense, really, isn't it? Romans 8 Um, 21 says this we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and uh, who have been called according to his purposes and that's a verse that echoes Genesis 50 20 here's a good one this is Joseph to his brothers who've left him to die you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. In a sense, that is, the, that is the, the keynote of the theme of what I want to say um, this morning. So I want to focus on the faithfulness of God in today's reading, how God's faithfulness is reflected in the faithfulness of his people, and how faithfulness creates a platform for kingdom breakthrough. So let's read Acts 9. Uh, 32 to 43, and uh, we'll get going. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Let me just put this into a bit of a context. This comes after a period of intense persecution from the church following the death of Stephen at the hands of Saul which scattered the saints from Jerusalem 
uh, we have the first Christian diaspora, if you like. And the churches of the diaspora, which were established in that scattering of the church in Judea, were established in this period. Some of them may have been planted by Philip, who visited the area, and you can read about that in chapter 8. Now it is several years later. We don't know exactly how long. But Peter is visiting these churches which have been growing over a period of time as a result of this scattering of the saints. And uh, he arrives in Lydda, near the coast, 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And, uh, and here we have a, st- it's a pairing of, of two. This is typical Luke, this is. The story of a healing of a man and the raising of, from, uh, to life of a woman. Luke often pairs together. Uh, he's very politically correct. He'd go down well in our modern era, you know, in terms of kind of making sure everybody's included and that the stories are representing the inclusiveness of the gospel as he does here. And so we come to, we come to Aeneas. And I want to talk about Aeneas. We, there's very, very little about him here, and some of what I'm going to say is supposition. But it's based on um, what the theologians say about Aeneas, that he must have been a member of the church in uh, Lydda, a Christian, a believer, and uh, known to the saints. And I see Aeneas very much as a man who's faithful to God in spite of the difficulties of his circumstances. He's been bedridden for eight years, totally dependent on others for support, Was he already sick when he got saved, or is this something that happened later? We don't know. Either of those possibilities might apply. But he's faithful to God in spite of illness, not becoming bitter or angry with God. I'll tell you, one of the things that I really, really, really personally had to struggle with when a church that we were leading here in Cardiff slowly went pear-shaped for all sorts of different reasons and crashed, burning. (laughs) That that was before we came here, really. One of the things I had to fight against in my own heart was feeling angry against God and just pulling right away and kind of burying my head in a a sand or hiding in a corner and locking, locking locking everybody and God out. That was a struggle. And when we're in difficult situations, like that of Aeneas, Aeneas, in, Lord, why, am, why is this my life? Why am I lying here in this bed unable to care for myself? He could quite easily have surrendered to that kind of uh, attitude. Why doesn't he get healed? There's a mystery in suffering, isn't there, which we can't explain. Why do some people have to go through these kinds of things? Why do some people get healed and others not? There is a time in, in Aeneas' case because I think he maintains a faithfulness to God and remains a part of the church in Joppa that actually creates the possibility of God actually coming through Peter and healing him and restoring him. Down through the years, I've known a number of people who've lived with extraordinarily challenging and difficult circumstances. And um, there was a, a pastor, a friend of mine, called Frank, Frank Gamble. He pastored a church in Harrow at one time. And uh, when I knew him, he was pastoring a New Frontiers church in Bury St. Edmunds when we were in Lowestoft. Some of you might even know him, have known him. 
He was a very, very physically active man before I ever met him, a PE teacher of all things, married with two sons. Uh, He was struck down at the age of 26 with a progressive illness, which left him after a few years in constant pain, unable to move, stuck in a wheelchair. And yet he still carried on his ministry uh, in that uh, that place. And he was a man who knew extraordinary joy in spite of his circumstances. And he was always laughing and always telling jokes. And at leaders' assemblies of the New Frontiers pastors... uh, He'd be the one who'd be invited to have a one-man stand-up. Well, he was a sitting-down comedian, actually, because he was in a wheelchair. But a one-man comedy show. And he would tell joke after joke after joke the whole evening on his own. No no, uh, supporting acts or anybody following on from him. And the joy that welled up in him was infectious. And it just deposited something in everybody who met him of what it means to be faithful and to know a complete and utter dependence on the grace of God and still know the joy of heaven in spite of everything. He was a remarkable, amazing man who came to be greatly loved by those who knew him, myself included. He always believed he'd be healed. But on earth, he wasn't. And he he passed away a few years ago. Um, The funeral in St. Edmundsbury Cathedral, which is a vast church, the place was packed Uh, But he's now standing. He didn't have to take his wheelchair to heaven. And he's he's now standing in the presence of God. And the joy that he experienced in his earthly life is far surpassed by the joy he even now is experiencing as he stands and gazes upon his saviour. Yeah? His life testifies to me about faithfulness in spite of circumstances it's a challenge it's a deep challenge and one which we need to learn from and embrace another man I knew Chris Gore who's a member of the 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 leadership team at Bethel in in California I met him got to know him a little bit he heads up the healing rooms in Bethel so he's in charge of all of the kind of the healing ministries that go on in that church on a weekly basis they see dramatic healings including the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, cancerous tumors dissolving, and the lame walking. And yet he has a daughter who I met, a daughter called Charlotte, who's disabled and wheelchair-bound and totally and utterly dependent on her parents. And Chris describes himself, he, he could so easily, that could so easily puncture his ministry, couldn't it? You know, why have I got a daughter? Why, how can I possibly be used by God in this ministry of healing when I've got a daughter who's in a wheelchair? And yet he describes himself as being totally captured by Jesus. Totally captured by Jesus. Aeneas, after eight years, bedridden, probably in pain, experiences healing through Peter. Peter comes and sees him and says to him simply, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Five words. It's nine words in Welsh. It's five words in English. (laughs) It's only five words in Greek. Yeah? Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. We were singing it. I was just so encouraged when we sang that song. 
Sometimes God breaks in and does extraordinary miracles. At other times, people go through their whole lives and don't actually experience that kind of breakthrough. But the testimony of miraculous healing and the testimony of faithful love of God and worship of him in spite of circumstance are equally powerful, equally powerful. And when God did break in and healed Aeneas, can you imagine the joy that he must have experienced at that moment? Extraordinary. God sometimes does break in to heal, doesn't he? And um, I was privileged, oh, Hazel and I both really, to kind of experience from the very early days when it was happening, uh, the move of God that took place just a few years ago up in Cumbran, and, um, which followed on from a dramatic and powerful healing of a chap who I got to know a little bit, a guy called Paul Haynes, who'd had a car accident and was wheelchair-bound and in great pain for 10 years. And uh, in, a, in a prayer time, uh, conducted by the leaders of the church there, he responded and came to the front in his wheelchair and was totally and completely and miraculously healed. Now, we weren't there for that meeting. We were there a couple of days before, after, when the news got out of what was going on. But he apparently, I've seen video of it, he apparently lifted the wheelchair up above his head and ran around the church carrying it. And joy broke out in the most extraordinary way in that meeting. We were there two or three days later, and I don't think I have ever, ever, ever been in a gathering of God's saints where the joy was so overwhelmingly powerful. And it was reducing unbelievers who are drug addicts who are coming in off the streets of Cumbran into those meetings. It was the joy of the saints that overwhelmed them. And we saw, we saw loads of people just surrendering their lives to Christ on the, back of, on the back of that event. There's joy when God does break in. Yeah, some of us might be living with challenging circumstances. There is a now and not yet of the kingdom. One day, every tear will be wiped away. One day, all of us will be whole. But sometimes we have to kind of live in the situation, but know the faithfulness of God in the situation that we're in. It might be illness, it might be a challenging marriage, it might be a family situation, it might be caring for a dependent relative or a demanding job, uh, whatever it might be. But uh, through that, drawing on and remaining faithful to God can come a wonderful proving of the depth and riches of his grace. And we need to learn to live in that tension on the one hand of uh, maintaining faith and, and trust in him, and yet at the same time pressing in for an increase of the kingdom on the other. And that brings us to uh, Dorcas, or Tabitha. And uh, if, if Aeneas is, is faithful in his worship of God, we see in Tabitha, Dorcas, Greek, um, uh, Hebrew uh, names there, faithfulness to other people, faithfulness in caring for others. It's a different kind of faithfulness. She's a woman who lives 11 miles further northwest in Joppa, um, and her name in Greek and in Aramaic means gazelle. She's a reputation for doing good works. She's steadfastly been faithful in expressing compassion for the poor. Uh, she'd be on the team in Grow Baby if there was a Grow Baby there. Yeah, 
And um, in those days, orphans and widows were the most economically vulnerable. There was no government safety net to, carry, to, cap, to support them, to catch them. And uh, in Dorcas, I think Luke gives us a model of Christian charity to the marginalized in society. She's a living embodiment of Acts 4, 34, where, which talks about generosity, an overflow of the generosity of the saints meeting the needs of all who are poor in the church. She's a great example of outrageous generosity. And perhaps the best New Testament example of a lifestyle that expresses that value. And as a result, she comes to be greatly loved, especially by those that she has helped. Suddenly she falls sick and dies. Her loss is deeply mourned in the church. So much so that men, hearing that Peter is just up the road, perhaps they've heard about Aeneas uh, being healed. Uh, Men from the church seek Peter out with an urgent message saying, come quickly, (laughs) you can do something about this. Her faithfulness, it's interesting, her faithfulness and the extent to which she is greatly loved for her care for the other saints provokes faith in those same saints that actually when she does pass away, God can do something to bring her back to life again. Faithfulness, it's interesting. I, haven't, I, haven't, you know, I need to think more about this. Faithfulness provokes faith in others. It's an interesting kind of thought, really, really. And a further encouragement to all of us to seek to develop faithfulness as a characteristic of the way that we live our lives as believers. It's her faithfulness in life that draws Peter to respond to the men who come and seek him out. And it's her faithfulness that causes him to come to Joppa and then himself to step out in faith to a new level of ministry in praying for her going into new territory and seeing the dead brought back to life again. And Peter arrives in the midst of deeply felt mourning. Poor Christian woman Dorcas, who's helped the women that she's helped are wearing some of her handiwork and all weeping. And then Peter simply, without going into detail, raises her to life again, paralleling the story of Elijah and the widow's son in the Old Testament and of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter in the New Faithfulness in worship, faithfulness in serving others, and then just very, very quickly and briefly, Peter, faithfulness in his response to opportunity. Yeah? And up to this point, he's been mightily used by God. The healing of Aeneas was normal for him, in a way. Uh, Raising the dead is another matter. It's going for him a step further. But he rises to the challenge. He knew perfectly well that he didn't have the power to heal anybody, let alone raise the dead. It's God who can do that. But he is prepared to put himself in the hands of God and take the opportunity that presents itself and uh, goes a step further than ever he has been before uh, and shows his total dependence on God. And he speaks to Tabitha. He prays, first of all, Oh, God, that would have been a desperate time of prayer, I think. He kicked everybody out and prayed. He wasn't praying for Tabitha. He was praying for himself to get himself in a place where actually he had the degree of faith to be able to say what he then said, which was quite simply two words. Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes. It's remarkable, isn't it, really? And what joy, what joy there must have been as a result of the breakthrough that comes as Dorcas comes back to life. Breakthrough. Whatever the breakthrough is that comes as a result of 
Faithfulness, provoking faith, causes joy. And it is the joy, I think, that pervades the church that actually impacts the surrounding community and causes others to want to know this experience that these people have as a result of seeing what God has done. And uh, as you know, really, um, we'll just finish uh, briefly with this, that uh, the impact of both this healing and this raising from the dead is a, a, a time of huge advance from the church. There's an infectiousness of kingdom joy after the miracles, which causes many to come to faith and to uh, surrender their lives to God. And it says right at the very end, and many believed, many believed in the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to see many believe in the Lord? Not just ones and twos. Oh, it's wonderful. Hey, isn't it amazing what's going on amongst the kids? 32 responding in this year so far. It's extraordinary. But hey, I don't think that gets anywhere near what Luke is describing when he says, and many believed in the Lord. Don't you want to press in for the more? Should we go for it? Should we prove ourselves to be a faithful people, faithful in worship of God? Yeah, faithful in serving others, but also faithful in seizing opportunities and taking steps of faith in order that the kingdom of God can break in and many.